Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Is Friday, May 27th, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Stacy and Amber, and we are going to talk about books with positive disability representation. And I do have to say that there are not a lot of them, like not as many as I hoped we would find. We did no. come up with our usual 12, um, but it was a struggle sometimes. So I'm going to start us off with the usual housekeeping information, then I'll talk about my first book, followed by Stacy and then Amber. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book tonight is kind of an own voices disability book. This is Storm and Fury, Harbinger Book One by Jennifer L. Armentrout. And Jennifer L. Armentrout is losing her vision to retinitis pigmentosa. And her character, who is an 18-year-old girl named Trinity, is experiencing something similar. So Trin is 18. She's losing her vision. Um, This is an urban fantasy, which I thought was very, very cool. Like we don't see disability much in the fantasy realm. And so I was really glad to see it here. Um, Trin can see and communicate with spirits. And she's also living in a compound guarded by wardens. Wardens are gargoyle shapeshifters. So sometimes they're human, sometimes they're gargoyles. Very few people know that Trinity can see spirits. This is a secret that she's been keeping for a long time. Um, But as we join her in the story, things are starting to heat up. There's something out there that is killing demons and also wardens. And no one really knows why this is happening. Because of Trinity's gift, it is believed that she will be able to assist them in figuring out like what's happening. So she joins forces with a warden named Zane. And if you've read um, Armin Trout's Darkest Element series, you will remember Zane as a side character there. So now he finally gets like a series of his own. And they are trying to figure out not only who is killing demons and wardens, but like why. And this 
does, you know, some of the things that we see in first books in urban fantasy series, there's a lot of world building, a lot of, you know, like explaining of why things are the way they are. But one of the things that I really enjoyed is how fluidly Trin's disability is like made part of the story. You never feel like the author's trying really hard to write a disabled character and like make it work. It feels very natural and organic. Um, I think the vision loss is handled in a way that is respectful and realistic. Like you definitely know that Trinity doesn't know how she's gonna cope like when she no longer has vision. And I think for people who are losing their sight, you know, later in life, that is a, a very real struggle for them. And I enjoyed seeing it there. I also liked that Armentrout allowed her to be a fully fleshed out heroine with strengths and weaknesses that are separate from her disability. And her disability does not keep her from being like a valuable member of society. And that's a thing that I look for when I'm you know, talking about positive disability rep here. Like, I don't want someone to always have to be protected because they have a disability. And that is a role that Trin does not want to play. And she's very, very quick to let people know that. So if you're looking for not only a great urban fantasy series, but one that handles disability in a really great way, I highly recommend Storm and Fury. This is Harbinger book one by Jennifer L. Armentrout. Oh, this has been in my TBR for such a long time. And I struggle well, because complete. it's kind of, I know, but it's, it's sort of like that young adult, new adult sort of crossover that is a little yes. iffy for me, but I've just, I've heard so many good things about this author in general and about this series in particular. I know I need to check it out, but. Yeah, I think you'd really like it. Yeah, I think I would too, based on what people have said about this particular book and just, you know, how popular this series is in general. So my first book tonight is one that I've been trying to read since it came out last, I think it was August of 2021. And that is The Heart Principle by Helen Huang. And I love this author so much. Her Kiss Quotient was sort of a revelation. Um, oh, yes. It was, and just, she's an own voices author. She's been very honest about that. She writes about um, characters with disabilities in a very honest and organic way. Um, and this book is the third in her sort of kiss quotient series, if you will. This book is about Anna and Anna is a violinist. She's a musician that has taken a lot of solace in the past from her music and it just sort of lifts her up and makes her feel so positive. Well, that's until she became a viral sensation on YouTube for one of her violin pieces. And now she's been asked to play um, a piece that's by a composer that was written specifically for her. And suddenly Anna is feeling a lot of pressure to do it not only well, but just perfectly. And so every day she sits in her apartment in San Francisco and she works on this piece, but she can't get all the way through it because she's, striving for perfection and she keeps starting over and starting over and starting over 
And every day she promises herself um, that she's not going to do this. And she has alarms to remind her to eat and to shower and to go out. But yet music has lost everything to her that has been like her passion and her solace. She's going to therapy. She's, you know, just trying to live a life that makes her feel good about herself. And at the beginning of the book, her boyfriend decides that they should be in an open relationship and that before he proposes marriage to her, he wants to experience what other women may have to offer him just to make sure. Yeah, because that's a good idea. It sure is. Just to make sure. Now, if, if there are two people who are in a relationship that they have kind of agreed upon is going to be an open relationship, that is fine. But to change the yeah. term like five years in and be like, oh, P.S., like now I want to kind of be intimate with other women just to make sure. I mean, I know you're the one I want to marry, but I just want to make sure. And by the way, he told her this after she had been um, performing some intimate moments for him which is just a kind of tool thing to do. So Anna's devastated. She feels like her whole life is spinning out of control. She's not able to perform musically well. She's just having a lot of anxiety. All the things that she's done in her life to kind of pass and fit in aren't working. She's seeing a therapist who starts talking with her about herself and like, you know, trying to get her to explain to her like what she's feeling not what the therapist expects her to feel. Anna has some friends, but nobody local. They're um, musician friends that she's met online from different places throughout North America who have encouraged her to go on the dating apps and kind of see what else is out there for herself as well. So Anna meets Kwan. Now, if you've read any of Helen Huang's books before, you've met Kwan. He's in both the Kiss Quotient and the Bride Test. And he is he just is. such a delightful character. But Quan has been experiencing his own sort of trauma, traumatic experience. He's had an illness and now he's sort of back in the dating world after a significant amount of time away. And he's also kind of worried about how the diagnosis that he had is going to imp- impact him moving forward. So these two struggling souls meet and decide to have a one night stand, but things on that one night stand do not go as anticipated. And because of the friendship that is forged, they both learn a lot about themselves and each other and the world that they're living in. And I don't want to say much else about this book. It's an own voices interpretation of anxiety and autism and, you know, caring for um, a chronically ill person. Um, It's about, you know, figuring out what happens like after a life-changing event. And this book was raw and real and Actually, if I'm being honest, it was very hard to read. It's taken me since last August to finish it, but I loved it so very much. And I applaud the author for being so honest with readers about what it is like to live with an autism diagnosis, what it's like to live with 
anxiety and how to sort of work through that to continue living a life that works for you. This book was gorgeous and lovely and incredibly painful. And I loved it so very much. This is The Heart Principle, The Kiss Quotient Number 3 by Helen Huang. And there's so much more I could say about this book, right, Shannon? But oh yes, it's best not to. It's it's best to go without a bunch of spoilers and just kind of read and understand and get to know the characters without a bunch of knowledge about them. My first book for this evening is entitled "Just Maria" by Jay Hardwig. In this book, we meet Maria Romero, who is in sixth grade and she is blind. She says several times throughout the book, she's just Maria. She may read braille and she may use a cane and she may have glass eyes, but she's just normal Maria who just wants to be a normal kid. She's not inspirational. She's not, you know, anything like that. She's just Maria. Maria has a next door neighbor named JJ and he wants to form a detective agency. Maria doesn't really like JJ. She kind of thinks he's a dork and uh, doesn't really have nice things to say about him. But her mom tells her to be nice and, you know, be friends with JJ. JJ also has a younger sister who doesn't speak, and I believe she has some sort of autism, and JJ helps take care of her. During the book, J.J. and Maria challenge each other to different public things to prove their worth for this detective agency. And during the book, J.J.'s sister disappears, and Maria has to use some of her skills in order to find her. This book is good. It's, it's you know, geared towards middle grade readers, um, It just shows Maria just being Maria. You know, she's not doing anything too exciting. She's just kind of living her life. But it just portrays blindness in a really positive way. And it's just a lot of fun. So I would definitely recommend that your child or even you pick up this book. Again, that's Just Maria by Jay Hardwig. So I don't read a lot of middle grade books. It's just not what I gravitate toward. But when I saw the description of this a couple of months ago, I had to pick it up and it was just delightful. I loved the fact that Maria was allowed to be a regular kid. And I also loved the pride she had in using her cane. Like there was that whole little thing um, in the description that said, use your cane and your brain and figure it out. And that just made me so happy because I felt like it's just the opposite of so much of what we see in real life. You know, people aren't proud of using their canes. So my next book is Quiet in Her Bones. This is by Nalini Singh. And we like Nalini Singh here on Book Bistro, although mostly we talk about her paranormal stuff, um, her side changeling, sometimes her archangels. 
But lately, Nalini Singh has taken to writing the occasional thriller, and that's what Quiet in Her Bones is. This is the story of Arav. He's living in a very elite kind of neighborhood in a city in New Zealand. And he lives with his very controlling and abusive father and his stepmom. Ten years ago, Nina, who is Arab's mother, disappeared. And no one really knows what happened to her. A lot of the townspeople kind of figure that she got tired of her, you know, her husband and just like went away looking for a new life, like wanted something more than what she had. But Arav has these deep, dark memories of the night that his mom went missing. And he remembers hearing this chilling scream, like kind of in the distance that night. And he's always wondered if this had something to do with his mother's like disappearance. Well, it's been 10 years and her bones have now been found in the forest, not far from this neighborhood. And Arev really wants to know what happened to his mom. But the problem is, well, one of many problems that there are with this situation is that Arev was in a very, very bad accident um, a little while before the story begins. And so he's dealing with a traumatic brain injury and some physical disability because of this accident. And so in a lot of ways, you know, he's feeling like he's not quite a, a whole person anymore, or at least not the same person that he was before the accident. Um, his father is not very supportive of him. Um, I don't think his father's really supportive of anyone, except maybe himself. But he he has a lot of like, very negative views about Arav as a person, um, both before and after the accident. But I feel like the accident sort of cemented all of the bad things that he ever thought about his son. So Arav is trying to reconstruct the past. And he's doing this through like a fog of, of like uh, kind of hallucinations almost. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really know what is real or what is a product of like some of the things that are going on with his brain as his brain is recovering from this injury. Um, he likes to think that eventually all of these things will go away and that he will, you know, get back to being the person that he was before. But the reader kind of knows that this is, this is unlikely. Um, it's a fast paced thriller, but it's also Arab's like personal journey into what his new life is going to look like. And how can he come to terms with the changes in himself? Are these changes like necessarily, you know, bad, like he thinks they are, or can they be sort of ways of helping him um, move on? So this is disturbing in some places. I want to give content warnings for abusive language and definitely some violence here. But I thought that Singh did a phenomenal job of painting the picture of like what goes on for Arav in his, like, in, you know, in his mental state. Like, what is he experiencing? You as the reader, you know, don't always know 
if the things that he's reporting are things that are actually happening or just things that he's perceiving um, because of you know his his difficulties. So I thought this was incredibly well done. Um, I think Nalini Singh is just a stellar author, no matter what she writes. And I'm always glad to see a new Nalini Singh book. But this one is Quiet in Her Bones. Again, it's by Nalini Singh. And I loved it. And I love Nalini Singh, but I have not read this book. So in case I haven't mentioned it on the podcast before, I mean... I might have once or thrice, mm-hmm. but I'm a huge fan of Stacey Reed. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I've mentioned that before. And I don't yeah, know I if think I've I kind of figured that maybe out once. Yeah. And I don't know if I've mentioned that my darling Duke sinful wallflowers book one by Stacey Reed was like my top read of 2021. Oh, Did I mention yeah. that to you before? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I've heard it a time or two. But when I found out that we were doing an episode that included disability, that was a positive representation of disability, I had to talk about this book because this book checks every one of my boxes. This book is about Catherine Danvers. And she is in a bit of a pickle because she is in a place in society where she is not getting the attention that she needs to kind of support the family coffers, if you will, or to add to them. And her main like focus in her life is getting her younger sisters married off so that they can have lives that include luxuries and support and love. But in order to do this, Miss Catherine Danvers has to do something kind of bold and daring. Yes, she does. She just she does. She decides that she is going to say that she is engaged to Alexander Masters, the Duke of Thornton. She's going to become Miss Kitty Danvers, and she is going to be the toast of the tall. And she talks about this amazing courtship she has had with this mythical man who has not been seen in society for a grand total of count them ten seasons. So she feels pretty safe in her ruse. And as long as it holds up for at least a season, she thinks that the notoriety of it can get her siblings married off. Fair enough. Well, Miss Kitty Danvers is in town and she's being offered a townhouse by the solicitors of Lord Duke of Thornton. She's, you know, all these things. And One day, the actual Duke of Thornton up in Scotland in his castle, where he has been in seclusion since experiencing a traumatic fire that has caused him to need to use a wheelchair, has given him scars and other disabilities. It's it's caused him to stay secluded from society, even though he knows that he could do some good in the House of Lords. But imagine his shock when one of his solicitors congratulates him on his engagement to Miss Kitty Danvers. Well, Alexander Masters, Lord of uh, Duke of Thornton, is so surprised by the nuptials he knew nothing about. He decides that what else can he do but go to London and meet this sassy minx 
of a miss who is bold enough to claim him as her affiance, despite the fact that he doesn't know who, in fact, she is. When the two meet, there are definitely some fireworks going on, and Alexander asks her to accompany him to Scotland to keep the ruse going that they are actually engaged. He plays along with her deception. And how amazing is that? So Catherine goes with him to his castle and there she learns that not only has he been scarred, not only does he have some concerns about his mobility, but his ability to function in a sexual manner has been called into question. This is one of the loveliest books I've ever read. It's sort of, it has some very, you know, kind of respectful nods to Beauty and the Beast without the kidnapping and the father and all that. But it also has um, some really beautiful representations for disability. Um, it's done very well. There's discussions of his, um, his abilities, his ability to um, be able to perform in a physical manner. It's just one of the loveliest books I've read where two people who are sort of lost souls come together to form a really gorgeous relationship all because of the pluck and the basically the sass of a young woman who is desperate for her sisters to make advantageous matches during the season. If I haven't said it yet, My Darling Duke is gorgeous. It's respectful. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And if you haven't read it yet, what in the hell are you waiting for? Please read at your convenience, earliest convenience. My Darling Duke, The Sinful Wallflowers, book one by the amazing and wonderful Stacy Reed. Read it as an ebook, though, because the <laughs> narrator is not stellar. Leave something to be desired. So true. I really do think this is one of the, like, poster children for how to write an amazing romance with remarkable disability rep. The next book I want to talk about this evening is The Extraordinaries, The Extraordinaries number one by TJ Klune. This is just a fun series if you're into comic books, if you're into superheroes, anything like that, if you're into fan fiction, anything, uh, anything like that. So in The Extraordinaries, we meet Nick, who has pretty serious ADHD. Nick lives in a city where superheroes are real and they fight each other. And Nick has a really big crush on a superhero who's kind of a villain. Um, And Nick writes fan fiction about this superhero, not knowing that the superhero is actually alive and not knowing who that superhero is. And the person that the superhero fights is also someone that Nick knows, but he doesn't know that he knows them. So Nick's ADHD 
is used as, you know, kind of a positive and a negative in the story. Um, you know, he's he definitely does some impulsive things without thinking. Um, his friends tend to get very frustrated with him. But at the same time, it's also, you know, viewed as a positive thing as well. And it does actually play into the story arc. So this is a fun, very fun series. I love TJ Klune. He does disability representation really, really well. Um, you know, it's very clear he has done his homework. He portrays uh, disability really well in, you know, in the impact that it can have on a person and the family or uh, family and friends around them. So if you are at all interested in superheroes or villains or fanfic or anything like that, definitely check out The Extraordinaries by T.J. Klune. So I could stay on the historical romance train or I could deviate a little bit into YA, um, kind of where Amber has been taking us. So I think that's what I'll do. And I'm going to talk about True Biz by Sarah Novick. Um, I've read a lot about deaf culture lately, and I found it to be very fascinating. And so I was really excited to see this particular book, because as some of you may know, I'm a big fan of boarding school books. And True Biz is set at a school for the deaf, a residential school for the deaf. So it's made me happy in all kinds of ways. So this is told from three different perspectives. We meet February, who is the hearing, um, the hearing daughter of a deaf mom. And she is the headmistress of River Valley School for the Deaf. And she's fighting hard to keep the school open um, and to give her students like all of the opportunities that they deserve. We also meet Charlie, who is a young girl who has come to the school after she's had a lot of trouble um, kind of fitting in at her old school. Um, her mom is really, really wanting Charlie to like not be deaf. And so she's, she talks a lot about cochlear implants and like, why doesn't Charlie you know, take advantage of this and like allow her implant to help her as if like she can just not allow this. Um, and really want Charlie to be someone she isn't. Finally, in kind of a fit of pique, her mother decides that Charlie can just go live with her dad. And if she wants to go to deaf school, like fine, like her mother is just done. And so she ends up at River Valley where she's never seen a deaf person before and has no idea how to sign um, and just is you know, totally unaware of the very rich culture that exists in the deaf community. We also meet Austin, who is kind of the, the golden boy of River Valley. If there's such a thing as like deaf royalty, um, his family is it. His parents, um, her, his mom is deaf, his father is hearing, but he is an interpreter and so has you know, been pretty deeply um, invested in the deaf community for such a long time. Um, you know, he's smart, he's handsome, he's successful. Austin is pretty much everything that the kids at River Valley think that they should be. Um, but no one really knows that Austin has a struggle of his own. His mom has just had a baby and it turns out that this baby is born hearing and this 
causes kind of a rift in Austin's family where like he and his mom are feeling a little bit separate from the dad and the sister. Um, these three people, like their, their lives converge at River Valley and we get to see like all of the ways in which they, they help each other and learn from each other. Um, the story follows them throughout the year. And so, you know, you see kind of how much change happens for each of them over the course of the year. You see a lot of crises, a lot of growth, um, and just so much love for a culture that I think a lot of hearing people just don't, don't know anything about. Um, this is written for adults, but I think it contains a lot of really great like YA crossover appeal. And I, I loved it so much. This is True Biz, and it's by Sarah Novick. I don't love books that take place at a school, but this one sounds good, and I think I should add it to my TBR. You should. So I've been looking for books that kind of demonstrate in romance a positive representation of disability. and. An author's name that shows up over and over on different lists is Serena Bowen. So I gave one of her books a chance and I decided tonight to talk about Falling from the Sky, Gravity Book Two by Serena Bowen. This book is about Hank Hazardous Lazarus. And he is a snowboarder that is sort of on the Olympic track. And he's sort of a playboy and you know, kind of loves his sort of partying lifestyle. And he's home at his parents' ski resort doing um, some snowboarding moves for an audience being watched by many, many people, including a doctor named Callie. When a move that he performs doesn't go as planned and he ends up falling and injuring himself. And once in the hospital, it is determined that the injury that he experienced will probably demonstrate that he is a paraplegic for the rest of his life. His parents, who have paid a significant amount of money to the hospital, are having difficulty accepting this. And Callie, who was there at the time of his accident with his friends and then is part of his treatment team in the hospital has to speak up on his behalf to say, look, you can't do a bunch of tests on him right now. He's not in a place where we can determine, you know, what, what movement he will be able to potentially regain um, once the swelling has gone down. And then eventually he's released from the hospital and Callie moves on with her life. Almost a year later, she is surprised to see him back again, and this time for alcohol poisoning from a day Ooh. of drinking too much. Yes. After a day of drinking too much tequila, Hank has been hospitalized. And all he needs is for Callie to kind of sign off on the fact that he can be released. And... He kind of tries the flirting round because he's always thought that she was attractive and he feels like he knows her from somewhere, but he doesn't remember their initial meeting 
just prior to his accident when she was with his, his best friends. Um, but he thinks she's absolutely gorgeous and he hates that she's seeing him, you know, coming down from a hangover and in a hospital bed when he wants her to see him as virile and completely sexy as he was prior to his accident in his own mind. Well, Callie signs off and says, you know what, you just have to not come back here. And they kind of do a little flirting, which to me kind of straddles a line, but he goes on his way and Callie continues at the hospital. Now, Callie's been having a rough time because her ex-boyfriend is also working at the hospital. Um, and this was a bit awkward because she caught him banging a nursing student in an exam room. And now hmm. they are, the, yes, and they are now getting married. So she's been kind of hurt rather desperately, but she keeps taking on his shifts if he asks her to because she's a good sport like that. Well, imagine her shock when she finds out that she, a young doctor, has been invited to lead a study that's being funded by Hank Hazardous Lazarus's parents to try an experimental new treatment that might give their son and other people the ability to walk again. And thus begins the sort of dramatic push and pull of the book. Because while Kelly is not actually his treating physician, she is overseeing a study in which Hank is involved. And Hank only agreed to the study with the proviso that Callie was the lead doctor who was kind of overseeing things. So the two of them kind of begin a flirtation with each other as the study commences. And this causes a lot of stress for Callie because she feels as though she's kind of stepping over an ethical line that she's not sure she should be crossing. So the romance in this book was fine, but what I actually liked best about this book was Hank's journey from his injury through kind of learning some coping strategies and then eventually to accepting the diagnosis that he has. Um, there's some discussion of him bonding with other people in the study uh, and talk of how they handle sort of um, private financial sorry, private medical things that, that happen as a result of paralysis. Um, and that's the part of the book that I really liked, Hank's journey and Hank's ability to learn how to adapt to basically his changed circumstances from going to, from being an extreme athlete to someone who um, has to learn how to live life knowing that walking again is something that is not part of his future. All that was great. I did think the heroine was a bit of an asshole, if I'm being quite honest. And I did not love her. I did not love some of the ways that the author kind of dealt with um, the placement of the hero's wheelchair throughout the story. But like I said, I did like the journey of the male protagonist, Hank, and how he kind of learned how to adapt and thrive in a different lifestyle. This book is Falling from the Sky, Gravity, Book Two by Serena Bowen. I wonder what Gravity, Book One is. It's about his friend who is a skier. 
And I'm not sure what their story is. My next book for this evening was one that I really, really enjoyed. And I actually read it in a day, which is pretty amazing because it's pretty long, uh, pretty long. And that book is The Sign for Home by Blair Fell. In this book, we meet Arlo Dilly. He's very handsome. He's young. And he happens to be deafblind. A Jehovah witness, a Jehovah's Witness, and he lives with his controlling uncle, who is his guardian. Arlo went to a school for the deaf, and he met a girl there. He, for, for a lot of the book, you actually don't even know her name, because Arlo didn't really know her name. He knew her name sign, but not really her name, which I, find, I found really very sad. Um... And Arlo and this girl were in love. They loved each other. And then something happens, and he thinks that she is gone forever. But is she? This book, um, it was a very hard read in a lot of ways. Um, Arlo isn't treated very well by people. There's a lot of patronizing behavior from, you know, the hearing sighted people who work with him, um, even from, you know, his interpreter, some of the times, um, things like that. And so it was very hard for, you know, me to read about that. But Arlo also learns about who he is. Uh, the things that he can accomplish. He meets other people who are deafblind, who are successful, you know, things like that. So this book was really a roller coaster for me, a lot of different emotions. Um, I have heard from some deafblind people that the book is actually pretty good representation. Um, it is not written by someone who's deafblind, um, but it seems like the person may be an interpreter. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but you know, overall, the representation was fairly good, I've heard. So again, that is The Sign for Home by Blair Fell. Okay, so The Sign for Home is, I think, one of the best things I've read in 2022. I was a little worried about it at first because I didn't know how the author was going to do with the whole, like, deaf-blind thing. You know, people don't always write blindness well, and I wasn't sure, like, combining deafness and blindness, like just how that would be done. But I ended up loving it so, so much. And if Amber, um, if you hadn't been able to, if you had found another book for yourself, I I would have kept this one. But I'm nice that way. So (laughs) I decided that Amber could, could talk about this. But it was just so well done on every level. It's read by the author. Um, which isn't always a good thing, but this one I thought was. And I really liked all of the insight that he put into creating this story with so many different elements of disability and romance and just questions about what is the best way to help someone and are the things that we do always in the best interest of the people that we, we think we're helping. All right, so my last book takes us back into the realm of historical romance. Yay! And this is one of my very favorite historicals. This is A Duke, the Lady, and a Baby, Rogues and Remarkable Women, book one by Vanessa Riley. Vanessa Riley is amazing. 
Um, I've read a couple of other books by her and I just love her a lot, whether she's writing historical romance or historical fiction. But this is the first book in the series. I do have to say that it kind of just drops you in to the story without a lot of explanation for some things that like happened before the story starts. So it does take a little bit to kind of get your footing and understand like who the characters are and some things that are going on with them. But our heroine is Patience and she has just escaped Bedlam. She was put there um, when she questioned her husband's like kind of bad financial decisions. Um, he died in an accident and the guy that was like the executor of his estate decided that, you know, patients just needed to be gotten rid of. And so he had her put into an asylum. When the story starts, she has escaped and she has snuck back in to what used to be her home because she's desperate to know that her infant son has been like, taken care of in her absence. So she sees him, she sees that, yes, you know, he's doing well. And she devises a plan to get to like stay by his side. So she gets herself hired as his nanny and she doesn't tell the Duke who hires her that she's actually his mother. Um, Busick is the Duke. I'm picturing like Mika um, responding to this name and uh, not finding it like, you know, sexy in, in a romance novel. But um, he has been through a lot and we don't know all of it like in the beginning. We know that he was a soldier in the Napoleonic Wars and that because of that, he lost a leg and has had to deal with some mobility challenges over the years. We also know that he has mixed feelings about the man who was once patient's husband, um, their cousins, and he kind of has like complicated thoughts and feelings about his family, but he wants to put the finances to rights. He figures like that's the least he can do, especially since his cousin had a son and, you know, he wants Lionel, who's the son, to grow up in a stable household without a lot of financial difficulties. So while he's in the house working to sort of set the finances to rights, which is more of an undertaking than he realized it would be, he's also making some changes in the household. And one of those changes is to hire patients. And he finds himself drawn to her in a way that he doesn't really understand. And he's wanting to, you know, kind of know her story and spend more time with her, even though like, that's not something that's usually done between like a member of the aristocracy and a servant. But they do spend more time together and slowly each of them begins to like, let down their guard. And eventually, of course, Busick does learn who Patience is. And then they have to decide, like, are they going to work together to help patients and Lionel kind of have the life that they deserve? Or is Busick going to allow all of his kind of baggage with his family 
and with his disability kind of get in the way and drive that wedge between them. Um, I loved the humor here. I thought that, you know, Patience has been through an awful lot as has Busick, but both of them have a very, um, like a very good outlook. You know, it's not that kind of like Pollyanna thing that goes on where you're just kind of like self-effacing and willing to play the martyr. Like neither of them do that, but they also don't kind of wallow in the things that are holding them back. Um, I think they build a phenomenal relationship. They learn a lot about each other and about themselves, but even more so about kind of what it means to truly give yourself to another person. Vanessa Riley writes about strong women of color in historical settings, which isn't something that's done very often, although I think, you know, more so it happens now than it used to. But this was just such a wonderful start to a series. There's a whole other plot point that has to do with like a secret society of widows um, that isn't really relevant to the disability portion of the book, but that does kind of add that extra layer of intrigue and fun to what otherwise could be like a very heavy and, and serious type of book. So if you're looking for a great historical um, and you've already read, you know, My Darling Duke and you're looking for something else, I do recommend <laughs> Vanessa Riley. This is A Duke, The Lady and a Baby, and it's Rogues and Remarkable Women, book one by Vanessa Riley. And this has been on my TBR since you talked about it. I think it was like in, I want to say 2020. Yeah, it um, came out in 2020. Yeah. Um, and I and now like there are two more in this series yeah. now. And I, I need this. I don't, I don't know why. I think I wasn't reading many historicals back in 2020 and I, I've been adding them back into my life again. So this is definitely one I need to check out very soon. So I really struggled with what to make my final book of the evening. Um, I've read so many good books with disability representation um, with good disability representation, I should say, but I want to talk about Rogue Officer Gone Rogue Number Two by Patricia Dietti. Um, this book does have some content warnings for off-page non-consensual sexual activity um, and some human trafficking, just for people who, who would like to have that content warning. This book is about Sloane and Sloane is a model and she is very, very close to being done with her contract. So she can go off and live a life that actually makes her feel fulfilled and she can kind of be away from the spotlight and from, you know, people objectifying her body. But things begin happening to her where um, it's felt that she needs to have a bodyguard for this final obligation that she has. That's when we meet Griffin and Griffin has been struggling. He um, was injured um, a while back and while protecting someone else and he um, lost an arm and also a significant amount of his hearing. 
And so since that moment, he's been really struggling with, you know, what does this mean for me in my life? How, how do I move forward? This is all I know, you know, being in the military, being useful in that way. What do I do now? And so when he's reproached, when he is approached by someone he respects quite a bit to see if he'd be willing to step in as bodyguard for Sloan, he at first thinks it's laughable, but then decides, you know, this might be like his final hurrah. And when he meets Sloan, there's sort of insta attraction on both sides, but they both kind of tried their best to keep it professional, despite the piling up of bodies and the stress of having a murderer in the hotel where Sloan is in the midst of a modeling shoot. Ooh. This book is a lot about Griff and trying to figure out his new normal, who he is now, how he can use the skills that he had prior to the injuries that have cost him so much. And moving forward, what does this mean for him? This book is also about Sloan and kind of figuring out how to move forward after a very traumatic past that has basically taken her life from her and what will happen with in her life moving forward. I love this book a lot. It was, um, again, a very raw book to read. It was very um, intense and Trisha D. Eddy doesn't shy away from sort of the painful aspects of being a person with a disability and like how that changes your life and how people relate to you and how you relate to the world. Um, lots of PTSD and just learning how to cope in a new normal. And I, her books, she's, if you like romantic suspense, if you like sort of a military background, um, these books are for you. So this book is Rogue Officer Gone Rogue Book Two by Patricia D. Eddy. She has been on my TBR since um, you first talked about A Shift in the Water. Oh, I love that book so much. So eventually I'm going to have to give her a try. My last book for this evening is an, an Own Voices novel. It is Show Me a Sign. Show Me a Sign, number one, by Anne-Claire Lazat. In this novel, we meet Mary Lambert. She lives on Martha's Vineyard in the 1800s. And the really interesting thing about Martha's Vineyard is, until very recently, there have been a lot of deaf people on Martha's Vineyard. And the really cool thing is that most of the people on the island know sign language, or did back in those days. Mary is deaf, and she is totally fine with who she is. She can communicate with everyone. She doesn't feel isolated. Things are good. But when the novel opens, her brother George has just died. And that has really kind of ripped the family apart. Uh, her mom is hearing, and her father is deaf. And normally, you know, that's not a problem. But, um, you know, her mom, as the hearing person, as the story goes on, kind of gains power because she can communicate with hearing people, whereas her father cannot. Um, there is a scientist who comes to the island 
wanting to find out why, you know, a lot of the people on Martha's Vineyard are deaf. And he wants to basically cure them. He sees deafness as something that's evil, something that's wrong. And Mary gets involved with this scientist in not a good way. And it's super, uh, super scary, super. Um, he basically takes her as a live experiment. He doesn't tell her family, you know, that she's leaving. He basically kidnaps her. And how, you know, what, how Mary reacts to that situation, what happens to her, how the community kind of comes together, um, deaf and hearing alike, really, uh, you know, really um, make this book and make this novel. And I'm super excited because I am on the waiting list for the second book in the series. I didn't even realize it was a series, so I'm very excited to read the second one. And I, I think it's really neat. Its own voices, um, the author, author herself is deaf. Um, just, you know, the language that she uses in the book is really cool, you know, things like that. So that is Show Me a Sign, Show Me a Sign, number one, by Anne Claire Lazat. I had no idea about the history of Martha's Vineyard in terms of so many people there being deaf and knowing sign language. And this, I think, just highlights one of the things I love best about books, the sort of fun, creative way that you learn things that you never knew. And then, depending on, you know, what the things are, you can be sort of prompted to learn more about whatever they are. So I am definitely going to have to pick this one up. Um, the medical experimentation thing is definitely something that happened historically and something that we don't hear a lot about. So although I'm not glad that it happened, I'm glad, Amber, that you chose a book that highlights that and lets people know that this is a part of our history. So this concludes our discussion of books with positive disability representation. Hopefully we have given you some ideas for things that you can read if you're looking for this kind of like added element um, in your reading. Thank you to Stacy and Amber for coming up with books for tonight. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And of course, we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week because we couldn't really have a podcast if nobody listened to it. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.